and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing with our Magician's Watch Through and we have finished Season 2. We're looking at the final episode. We have brought you little cakes. Chris, can you give us a recap of everything that happens in this episode? Sure, here it goes. We open with the knowledge that Ember is bored of Fillory and intends to destroy it, bringing pain and death to all its inhabitants and threatening the magic of all other worlds. Penny is dying of cancer from radiation poisoning after entering the library's poison room, but is still called in to work on an emergency case for the library. Alice continues to adjust to her new reality, as a concerned Quentin stops her from burning herself, and then provides bacon to remind her of the pleasures of being human. Elliot asks for Quentin's and Julia's help for the Ember situation, even as Julia faces renewed trauma after she is reunited with her shade. Margot and Josh try to free Fen, who refuses to leave the fairy realm without her daughter, and are then taken to meet the fairy queen. She gives them a plant that can be baked into little cakes to attract Ember, then sends them back to Fillory at the cost of Margot's eye. Elliot and Margot throw a Fillorian orgy to attract Ember. When Ember arrives, Elliot and Margot try to convince him not to destroy Fillory by promising drama and entertainment. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Quentin visits Umber, but Umber only cares about his new pocket world, which he forces Quentin to enter. However, unbeknownst to Umber, Julia took the gem containing the pocket world to Fillory, where she releases Umber and Quentin. Though at first overjoyed to be reunited with his brother, Ember realizes that he was actually betrayed when Umber made a deal with Martin to fake his death and have Ember banished. They fight, and Ember kills Umber, after which Julia channels Ember's essence into a sword that Quentin uses to kill Ember. After a sexual reunion, Alice warns Quentin that the old gods who created gods like Ember will respond to his death, and indeed the old gods send their plumber to shut down magic in all of the worlds. Two months later, Fillory's in turmoil without magic, and the students at Breakbills are learning magical theory in the hopes that magic will return. Fenn returns from the fairy realm to warn Margot and Elliot that the fairies are invading Fillory, which arrives too late. Finally, Julia reunites with Quentin and reveals that somehow she is the only person who still has some magic. She would. Yes. Of all, all of people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, so much happens, and I know both of us have way too many notes for one episode, so why don't we jump into those? What are your magic moments from this episode? I mean, there's so many good lines in this episode. Oh my god, there's episode. so many good lines. Uh, I'm hoping that you wrote down some of the same ones I'm, I did so that they're covered. Sure, that's the case. Uh, when... Elliot is awkwardly in Julia's apartment and just says, nice sconce. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. When Umber calls Quentin a sad little nerd king. Oh, yes. That's definitely accurate. As well as when the fairy queen calls Margot rude little earth girl. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elliot talks about how Fillory is literally now a land of godless heathens mm -hmm. since they killed the gods. And I also just loved... Elliot just sitting alone in the throne room at Castle Whitespire, doing nothing as Margot and Josh, like, teleport in. <laughs> like, it's just a great scene of seeing yeah, Elliot there on his own, and, I mean, how sad that is. Mm. But also just his immediate reaction to, okay, a magical teleportation comes in, <laughs> and he goes down to them. But 
the show could have done so much to have Elliot been in a conversation with someone or doing something else. But mm -hmm. just having him sitting alone in the throne was actually really, really effective in mm -hmm. showing his state of mind without Margot and without anyone there in Castle White Spire uh, and worried about what's coming. And so their arrival means a lot, too. Mm. And if you hear soothing rhythmic background noise so that would be our cat purring on my lap yes we have a third co-host today mm -hmm. but also i just had a couple production things that definitely stood out to me this episode mm. for one the fairy world being like an alternate reality castle white spire it was so cool they take the same set and like add moss on the ground and like these different elements exactly cool. which is you know a great way of cutting costs because you can just reuse that set, but they also alter it in really, really interesting ways, which also makes the world seem that much more altered, that much mm. more different. And hilarious, because it's like, I don't know what those fairies were doing with those toads, but it just looks so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> and then uh, after we finished watching the, the episode and the credits started to roll at the end, I literally started laughing out loud because it's just like, this show is so ridiculous because <laughs> two of the characters that were in the end credits were Plumber of the Gods <laughs> and Ominous Fairy. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. this is a show that on IMDb has Plumber of the Gods <laughs> as a character that yep. someone portrays. And it's just, uh, it's just <laughs> the delightfulness of wacky fantasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But what were your magic moments? Yeah, so other lines. Margot calling the fairy castle a weird AM radio version of White Spire. Very good. It's great. Elliot saying that she's a fembotnik fury. I also wrote that down. It's excellent. <laughs> and the, them two talking to each other. Elliot says that the future is going to be a big blank post-apocalyptic nada unless we do what we do best. And Margot says, act out with a total lack of empathy and impulse control. <laughs> Which is so Margot. It's like, it's, clearly she's very self-aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also great is Ember when he's really angry at his brother. He says, your puny, petty, putrid nothing of a soul spark. Which is <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. And then one of my favorites is when Elliot is talking to Julia after the sconce moment. Mm -hmm. And he says, want to put some pants on and help save all of magic. So good. So magicians. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, like clearly they brought out their like crack team of writers for this episode <laughs> yeah. because they just like have so many great lines. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that, that would be so me. I, I remember every time my first year at university, if ever my roommate and I would come home, like, at the same time, we would both just automatically take our pants off, put pajama pants on. <laughs> like, that was just, like, exactly what we did. It's like, okay, now we're going to study, we're going to do whatever, uh, and you're going to be the most comfortable possible. And so it's like, yeah, if, if we're going to go do anything, we have to put some proper pants on. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's worth saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also really enjoyed the not Cuba, just how ridiculously 
or as Quentin says, it's really, really linear. <laughs> like just how <laughs> boring everything is and so rigidly perfect angles and pristine white and like everything. Yeah, he's like, is this tree too asymmetrical? And yeah. it's the most symmetrical tree I've ever seen in my yes. life. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, and then he asks how the linguini is mm-hmm. and Quentin's response is, there's nothing wrong with it, <laughs> which he thinks is a good sign. Exactly. It's fine. <laughs> and, and then he's like, well, bland is never really good or bad. Umber's just like, it appeals to all tastes. <laughs> like, this is, like his weird positive spin on if something isn't chaotic or isn't bad, then it's good. Yeah. And how he puts this spun little fork full of pasta daintily <laughs> on the, the white tablecloth and just looks so proud of himself. I caused some chaos. Mm-hmm. I will make the little, you know, sentient beings of this world happy because I can be chaotic too. And it's just like how he does it is so boring too, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, it's just great. Absolutely. What what a, a visual and like thematic treat of seeing the excesses of order not being like fascism, which we see a lot in things mm. like Star Wars and things like that, mm-hmm. but instead being just, yeah, blandness. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, but also uh, appreciated, too, with his character. He's not just this pleasant, I like order, Mm -hmm. but when he asks Quentin if he wants to see this, what's not Cuba, world that he's working on. The land formerly known as Cuba. Yes, and Quentin hesitates, and Umber's like, you're acting like I'm asking you, whereas I am a god and you are a hairless monkey, so nod and say thank you. Mm. Which just shows the attitude of what seems like all of the gods, at least all the gods we've met thus far, towards beings that aren't gods. Absolutely, yeah. He likes Quentin, but he also sees Quentin as so much less than, Yeah. He likes him because Quentin likes what he created. Mm -hmm. But other than that, and to give him feedback, he has no use for Quentin. He doesn't care. Even when he opens the door the second time, he's like, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You sad little nerd king. You know, like, he's not like, oh, yay, a friend. You know, he, he sees him as such an inferior being. And he acts polite for politeness sake Mm -hmm. rather than because... It means anything. Yeah. Because he's a god. I also like that they brought back in just one small line with Quentin his ongoing depression Mm -hmm. because he's telling Alice, you know, they're in bed together, all of that, that this was kind of an okay day, Mm -hmm. which I think that that phrasing is, yeah, just really important because... He got back together with this person, you know. He saved magic. He saved, you know, he got his quest, right? Yeah. He got to kill a god, you know, this, the epic of the epics, right? And it was kind of an okay day, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's 
it doesn't just override everything else about what he experiences through his depression. Mm -hmm. And even at the end of the episode, we see him at break bills, taking notes or whatnot, but we see him when he's outside, when Julia approaches him, that he's smoking. And I don't think we've ever seen him Hmm. smoking before. And so we see that he's picked up this problematic addiction, right, as a part of his coping slash non-coping with um, not only his normal depression, (laughs) but the fact that he hadn't had a hand in the situation of of no magic Mm -hmm. that, that they're currently in. So, yeah, I just appreciate that, you know, every time that they bring little things like that back, that you still see that it's uh, present there for him. Absolutely. I also appreciate that Fen came back to warn them that the fairies were coming because in ways that I've been kind of disappointed in her through parts of this season, with her prioritizing what she wants and the family she wants to create and those things over everyone else in Fillory. Here, she's finally made a choice that cost her some of her toes Mm -hmm. to not continue to look for her baby, to, I don't know if give up on that, but at the very least, put the people of Fillory above what she wants and what's important most important to her yeah uh originally she stayed she would rather stay as a prisoner in the hopes that she could get her child back or be around it or you know or whatever but yeah she, she was able to make a choice uh, of sacrifice personal sacrifice for the rest of Fillory, mm-hmm. which is good yeah get, get back on that fen yeah <laughs> Another thing, I know there's too many things, but another thing (laughs) is I love that Penny read Elliot's, both of Elliot's volumes in the library because clearly it's already that Elliot has done so much Mm -hmm. in comparison to some of the others. We don't really know how many volumes Margot has. I don't think her book was there when we were looking, or Julia, and and so I'm not sure how those compare, but he's done a lot of things. Penny knows that without having to look at the size of the volumes, you know? The Penny looks to Elliot's book for answers, mm-hmm. because he knows that he's the monarch, of Fillory that would do the most to try to stop what's going to happen to Fillory. So I just like that, it, you know, it doesn't even mention that, but he read Elliot's books. Yeah. You know, that was what he went to for the crucial information. And so it shows like, yeah, Elliot, you've been doing so much. And maybe everybody, not everyone around you appreciates it, but Penny notices Penny knows who who he should go to at this point in time. Yeah. And the last magic moment was just, I love how when the plumber of the gods turns off magic, that the color at Breakbills and in Fillory goes to those cold tones Mm -hmm. that we saw Julia in so much of in in the first season. And so it's... And especially for a place like Fillory and Breakbills, it was always those rosy colors, you know, um, warmth and vibrance and then having that muted. I I like them bringing that back. Yeah, absolutely. 
But why don't we go into our next section, which is setting in society. I appreciated Quentin's concern when he sees Alice hurting herself, burning herself. Mm. You know, for someone who has had suicidal ideation to see something like that, I think it makes sense that he would be worried um, mm, and that yeah. he would see that as an issue because he, he knows that where that could come from and how destructive that can be, not only physically, but mentally. The fact that he has then that potion that renders you unable to harm your own body is, I think, really illustrative as well. Like, we don't know how or where he got that potion, but my reading was definitely that he had this already because mm. maybe sometimes he needs that potion. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just this is the kind of small character moment that highlights, again, why Quentin is such a unique protagonist because he's a character who has this as, yeah, this depression as a central component of his life and his experiences mm. and the tools that he can bring to bear. And it makes it so that he can provide for Alice in this really hard moment a kind of understanding and a kind of care that not everyone might be able to provide the same way. Um, and, you know, he forces her to take the potion and... I'm sure there have been times when Quentin's had to either force himself to take the potion or had didn't have anyone to force him to take that potion, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, it just kind of opened a lot of, like, doors for me in thinking about his own experience with self-harm or ideation of self-harm and, yeah, why he, he has this potion at the ready. I just found it very, very compelling as yeah. someone who myself has experienced suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. I also found it very interesting to see how Ember himself believes so strongly in the story of Umber's sacrifice for him mm. and how crucial that was to his understanding of his brother and himself and the world. And it just really made me think about, yeah, how those kinds of narratives can be so powerful to people and how Ember in a way is a, a figure of narrative. Uh, you know, he talks about how he wants to be entertained. He gets bored, but he's also to most of our cast, a character from a children's story. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a large extent to which the narratives that we say about our beliefs, you know, be they gods or, or what have you are, yeah, narratives in and of themselves. And so for him to be, yeah, a creature who is so tied up with these narrative themes and aspects to then have a narrative that he has been told and that he's he's held so dear be so important to him, I think is, is just really striking. Hmm. And yeah, it, you know, reminds me of the ways that in our society, narratives about either religion or other kinds of mythical stories kind of provide so much strong meaning to people. You know, you look at, for example, the founders of the United States, you know, and the hero worship. The founding assholes. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, this, this hero worship of those people and the 
frustration that so many people can have when it's like, oh yeah, but more than half of them are slave owners, you know. Enslavers. Yeah. You know, they, they, they were not just these highly principled people who were fighting for equality for all people. Like, you know, that's just <laughs> not, were, not what was happening. They were fighting for equality for rich landowning white men. Exactly. That's, that's all. Yeah. And for the ability for them to colonize yeah. as they see fit. So, yeah, I, I think, but it, it, it highlights the extent to which they are part of these really foundational narratives for some people. Um, and then, I mean, even in more recent history in the United States, you think of, you know, figures like Martin Luther King, who are put forward as, yeah, these mythical f figures who I had a student the other day, you know, talk to me about, well, didn't Martin Luther King say that people shouldn't be judged based off the color of their skin as a way of trying to argue, like, against affirmative action? <laughs> and I'm like... I mean, but Martin Luther King also had a bunch of anti-capitalist sayings and, like, <laughs> yeah. other quotes that, you know, aren't part of the narrative that is often put forward for him, but is also really important. And instead, those narratives, in many ways, simplify the world in order to provide simple, palatable explanations. And yeah. when you dive under the surface, you see how those explanations actually don't hold water. And when Ember realizes that, he reacts badly, yes. uh, understandably. But yeah, I just, I found that a, a really, really compelling aspect of this, this episode. My final piece is, you know, I had to talk about the idea of making a constitution using the best parts of some pretty good ones. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I know. I love that. Which is a great line generally because, you know... Even the best ones are only pretty good. <laughs> but the ways in which legal documents and constitutions and things like that in our own society have built on one another. And, you know, we, we often think about the American Constitution as this kind of formative statement because of the first document, quote-unquote, to grant equality, which it did not uh, in many, many ways. Uh, when we say we, we don't mean we. Yes. <laughs> we mean society. A lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Too many people. Uh, but then the argument is like, and then the French Revolution went even further with that. Uh, but, I mean, the Haitian Revolution is the first revolution of that era that really was revolutionary. It wasn't just about economic class conflict, but was also about, you know, it started as a slave revolt. Mm -hmm. And it ended in a society that no longer had slavery legalized. Uh, you know, it didn't... There were certainly still inequalities in that society that came afterwards, but the framers of these constitutions, these these political theorists and philosophers and often wealthy individuals, landowners, you know, but they were very much in dialogue with one another as they were building these documents. And they... There was never a kind of just general progress of like, oh, this led to this, which led to this. Like all of these things, you know, there are spurts and dips of progress and equality and then the taking of progress and equality away. Uh, and yeah, so I just, I think that if you're to create a constitution for your realm, uh, these characters, I think, are intelligent enough to 
contextualize the constitutions that they're looking at as models and try to adopt something that, yeah, is not just trying to take the laws of one simplistically seen great or perfect document and redo it, but instead looking at the very many ways in which people have tried to build just societies and mostly failed. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, I, I appreciated that quite a bit. Yeah, totally. I love that Margot and Elliot are critical thinkers. Mm-hmm. So that they are both American, yet <laughs> they do not idolize the American Constitution. Like, sadly, the majority of the... <laughs> U.S. does, and um, believe like, oh yeah, it's right for us to take democracy to other places. Mm-hmm. So when really it's like, oh, they just want oil, or they just want you know whatever imperialistic reasons uh, and aims. Uh, but let's let's say it's about democracy, <laughs> you know. Um, and Margot and Elliot like see through that and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually care. And, you know, hopefully maybe they wouldn't have always gotten that sort of education where they came from, Indiana. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. But uh, at the very least, they're able to think more critically maybe than the education they were given. And then going to break bills, it probably helps in terms of them learning so many other languages, learning magic from so many different places and and um, fog assigning them to learn about the histories of different rebellions and aspects of colonialism and, and all these and other governments kinds of things. yeah exactly and, yeah yeah it's nice to see them not only struggling with how to rule best but trying to do so in an informed and critical kind of way totally yeah but what were your ideas for setting in society well something for the setting of Fillory, of course, the fairy realm is just very, very interesting. We totally. talk about the set design, but the fact that it's supposed to be a plane that's laid atop the Fillory that we know. So the fairy castle and White Spire occupy the same space and time, but in two dimensions. Or it's they are in the same dimension, but the fairy realm is incredibly sped up Mm. so it's just they don't entirely know and the fairies don't care about explaining it to them Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's just it's an interesting idea absolutely and a a way of playing with ideas of different lifespans Mm -hmm. which happens a lot in fantasy where elves in particular have much longer lifespans possibly infinite lifespans and so what would it be like if they lived, yeah, in a sped-up universe? They could make it seem like the same time is passing for them as is passing for that other universe. Because mm. if they're not aging, they're not dying. Uh, yeah, it, it's just an, a way of, of making that even more mysterious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when it comes to connections to our world and society, apparently... The library doesn't have sick days or sick leave Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, because Penny has been lethally poisoned and obviously he was poisoned doing something he was not supposed to be doing, but 
He's then put on strict probation, and as Zelda says, it most assuredly does not mean he's excused from war, <laughs> even though he's literally dying. Yeah. And she says, we'll take every step to keep him comfortable, which I don't know exactly what all that means. It is nice to see it when magic is being turned off and, you know, people are running around the library. She runs and finds him. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's collapsed at work in between the shelves of the library. But it's nice to see that she actually was still looking for him to, you know, try to make sure he was not dead, I guess, or okay or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, he's not okay, but... um yeah, it is something connecting back to what we were talking about when he first signed the contract um, with human trafficking or labor exploitation, that injuries and things can be seen as, like, your own fault. Yeah. And you can be punished for them rather than you should have care, mm -hmm. you know? No, of course not. Yeah, your, your primary role is to create profit for the, your bosses. Absolutely. I mean, generally in capitalism, but also specifically in, like, the most exploitative, mm -hmm. profit-seeking um, environments. And so, yeah, just seeing that he's dying, yet he still is expected to work. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of... When, yeah, maybe because of a disability or because of just an injury or, or other kinds of means or just because things are uncomfortable. You know, if someone even does report that to their boss or to their, their company, you know, for, you know, out of fear of maybe losing their job if they report it. But then, yeah, that line of, we'll do everything we can to make you mm -hmm. the most comfortable, but, like, everything they can is, like, here's a pillow for right, you right. that will help you be more comfortable. But <laughs> You have to you... pay for it yourself. Yeah. And uh, you still have to work eight-hour days. You still are expected to fulfill this and that. You know, your comfort is important, but only to the extent to which it helps you stay productive. And that's what's important. And it's just... Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's capitalism, baby. <laughs> but when it comes to labor exploitation and, like, severe labor exploitation and human trafficking, it's like, you work 18-hour days plus whatever yeah. until you are not productive enough anymore. And then maybe we'll get rid of you, fire mm -hmm. you, whatever, um, throw you out. But until then, or until you die, you're expected to use your body and your energy regardless of what state it's in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently was teaching about the greater Caribbean during the slave trade. And that was the area that had the most enslaved Africans shipped in. And that's because it was so dangerous and the work was so exploitative and murderous that there was a much higher death rate than birth rate. So the only way for them to maintain a population was through the importation of more enslaved people. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a, a really poignant example of exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or 
Chinese workers with railroads or mining.、Mm-hmm. It's like we'll give you the most dangerous jobs with dynamite and things, and we'll pay you the least. Yeah. Yep. There's one other thing I was thinking about for this section, which is kind of more a meta way of like us as consumers of entertainment, because. When Ember finally appears and Elliot's there, he's just like, "Didn't I banish you?"、Mm. And Elliot's trying to explain, but he's like, "I love it—a <laughs> genuine twist, a true surprise." Like he's so excited because it's something new, and he's so bored. That's why he's smashing his toys, right? Which, which are people and this planet. And Elliot says that we can make Fillory more exciting and watchable than ever, which is just a great line because、yeah. that's what we want from our entertainment. And once Ember starts destroying the planet and the castle starts falling apart, he's just like yelling, "Apocalypse! Apocalypse! Isn't this wonderful?" Like he's so excited about the. Drama and the entertainment of it all, and that is something that we do like as people in general. Some people can get very, very、um, toxic if certain things don't turn out how they want, or people decide to take a show or a property in a different direction than、mm-hmm. before. Like people do death threats, people. Troll people, you know, like people can get really, really just dysfunctional and damaging, and all of this because like the entertainment isn't how they want the entertainment to be,、mm-hmm. and they would rather nothing more be made than something that they don't want、uh, or something that doesn't interest them.、Um, and I think that like that's the more extreme, but I think just in general. Of people who consume entertainment, whether that's books or shows, movies, video games, music, like we do, often want something new. You know, for those who like mysteries, you want a twist. You want、mm-hmm. something surprising. You want something that you didn't anticipate. Because if you can anticipate it, it's not as interesting. There are plenty of apocalyptic things. I mean, this show is apocalyptic、mm-hmm. show.、Uh, every season, it's like the world can end, <laughs> right? And so,、uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of an interesting commentary because we're against Ember in this way. Stop being a, such a spoiled little brat, God, and care about the people who are doing this work, and you know, maybe invest some of yourself in the worker or, or whatnot,、um, instead of just wanting to sit back and. Have exactly what you want, exactly when you want it, but yeah, thinking about the ways in which we, as society, can do that as well, and definitely that does bring into question. I mean, I can enjoy a good reality TV show,、mm-hmm. but that even more so is often at people's expense.、Yeah. And、um, sure, they sign up for it, blah blah blah, but. People on the internet come after people.、Yeah. Like, not that I've heard of here. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened. But I know at least in Japan, it's happened 
before where somebody actually killed themselves that had been on a reality TV show because of the intense cyberbullying that happened, you know, through that. And so, yeah, just, I don't know, kind of thinking about not wanting to be an ember. <laughs> like, I do get bored of things. I'm like, do something new. Granted, I don't take it in toxic ways to other right. people around me. But, you know, I think it's important as consumers, especially as American consumers, for us to think about, like, contentment. When when can we appreciate what we have and things like that. So, yeah, just things on my mind. Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking, made me think about, like, why the Toy Story movies can be so touching because mm. we see characters who are defined by the fact that they are treated as objects. And sometimes that is awful, like Sid blowing them up and tearing them apart. But sometimes it's just neglect. Sometimes it's just moving on. Mm-hmm. And, and so personifying those objects, making them characters, making them people is tragic. Mm-hmm. And... You said it exactly right. Ember sees them as toys. Ember yeah. sees them that way, which makes their reality tragic too. Mm-hmm. That they have to live in a society where, yeah, they they mean nothing to someone who has so much power over them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when people say that, so I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we go into themes and schemes, I was thinking about the little pop-up section of Fillory and Further, comparing some things in the book to the show, and something that I did want to bring up, because when I read it in the book, I was actually pretty disturbed by it. And so in in the final book, you know, sorry, spoilers if you're going to read them, but when Alice does re-corporealize the very end, you know, you didn't know if she was going to, but then she does. And the situation does happen, which I'm glad that they changed because I was just very uncomfortable because Elliot comes, asks Quentin for help with Fillory. Quentin's like, no, sorry, I have Mm -hmm. to stay with Alice. I don't care about Fillory. (laughs) And it was not as easy to go between worlds as it is in the show. Yeah. So he is, you know, trying to help Alice, whatever. Alice is upset with him for being brought back. And then she wants to have sex with him. And he tells her no more than once, yet she coerces him, guilts him into it. Mm-hmm. And it just made me so uncomfortable <laughs> that it wasn't necessarily portrayed as a bad thing, which I think that we can see in society where it's like, oh, well, if it's a cis woman towards a cis man, it's just like he, he's always going to want that. Yeah. So it's not you know, rape or it's not problematic sexual behavior. Men will always give their consent. And, exactly, yeah. which is just bullshit and um, is really frustrating. So I am glad that they changed that a bit in, in the show where mm-hmm. that wasn't the circumstance. Totally. I wish they'd change it so that he did still say, no, this isn't 
right. This is not going to be good for you. This isn't mm-hmm. going to be healthy. And then she just, they just didn't have sex. Yeah. <laughs> but of the three options, this is at least the second. But this is, this, and, uh, Quentin wasn't going to do that. That's also true. <laughs> Show Quentin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, just wanted to bring that up in case anybody has read the books because we're not just going to ignore that. Yeah. But why don't we move on to something more pleasant, which is themes and schemes. What were you thinking about? One thing that kind of really came out to me in this episode was during Katie and Penny's conversation, when Katie just says, why can't anything just get fixed? Mm-hmm. And Penny answers, life, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Coming from those two characters, too. Yeah. Exactly. And then later in the episode, Alice mentions that every good thing about being human, no matter how small, is married to something disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just this idea of like human experience never being just good, never being solved, everything's okay, but always having negatives, always having stresses, always having, you know, issues at play. And it's, you know, I think really interesting in an episode where they end the episode killing a god, saving Fillory, but then having the downsides of the repercussions of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they then don't have magic. And yeah, I think that's an interesting... um kind of new theme that I see coming out at the end of the season that I'm interested in how it might move forward of this kind of, yeah, the messiness of life, the difficulties of life, and how things don't ever just have a clean, simple, happy ending. Mm -hmm. But things are always much messier than that, uh, I find particularly interesting as as a season finale. Mm. Yeah, totally. It kind of reminds me back to Emily Green Street in the mm. Cheap Day episode when she and Quentin were complaining about magic and saying yeah. that magic ruins everything. And it's like you, there's a problem and then you do a spell and then it makes it worse. So you do another spell and it's just like this cycle of, you know, everything always being in this downward spiral Mm -hmm. it seems like um but i think yeah here it's it's a it's less just the negative you know it's well it's actually kind of funny because i i had written down both of those quotes but i put them in different Mm. themes um so one of them i was kind of thinking about the theme of balance Mm. because what Alice said that, yeah, every with every good thing, it's married to something completely disgusting. And then you have Ember and Umber yeah. balancing each other out to have to make this world that, that they originally did that has <laughs> what the gingerbread witch said at the beginning, you know, it looks it only looks whimsical, right? Mm-hmm. So it has the whimsy, but it also has like the sinister uh, married in a way that is fillery, I think, <laughs> that there's really great and beautiful and fun and charming things. And then there's 
really like yikes things when Penny was trying to find the moss or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then there's some plants that eat you. You know, it's just like it's it's an interesting idea of it's it's the tension of between both of those things from from multiple things that uh, it's not only good, it's not only bad, it's always going to be a mix. Totally. Even if you're the richest people in the world, somehow they still find a way to be unhappy. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, even if you're a god, right? Yeah. yeah. The gods see Fillory as imperfect and give up on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Umber thinks that he can make a perfect world afterwards, but, you know, that perfection is, as evidenced in his very linear, bland world, impossible to grasp. And yeah, I find and... that that really interesting. Um, that yeah, the, the humans in this episode are are trying to reach for the imperfect, but the here and now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the humans understand something that the gods don't. Mm-hmm. And I think on the flip side, Ember both doesn't want to work he's mm-hmm. like oh that seems like too much work like my brother would overwork and he would be doing that so maybe if he were here i would bother so he doesn't want to work but he also is bored being entertained right yeah. and it's like if you want to be in a in a space and not just cause toxic damage and mm-hmm. chaos um then yeah you're going to maybe be bored sometimes and you're also going to have to work sometimes and you also get to be entertained sometimes. Yeah, and, and just as a last point on this theme, I particularly find it interesting that Quentin is not the character we see engaging with it mm-hmm. because, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how Quentin is unique as a depressive protagonist and how sometimes we can relate to that. And for me, this is the way that my deepest depressions often focus on like is this idea of well nothing will be perfect nothing will be good because nothing will you know there will always be these small or big negatives and so what's the point and so when i'm spiraling when i'm in my my deepest depressions you know those are the kinds of thoughts that come to my mind Mm -hmm. um so yeah i guess if i if i was just putting these kinds of things on paper i would expect maybe his character to have some of those kinds of thoughts uh, in this episode, and we don't really see that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just find that interesting. Yeah, I think, or I wonder if part of it is because he's come to terms with his dysthymia, his mm. chronic depression. Um, and so he knows that it's there, and he always is looking for ways to escape from that, but he also experiences that every good thing that he has enjoyed or everything that he considers good, like killing a god, Mm -hmm. getting back together with Alice, maybe, um, still has a tinge of depression. Mm -hmm. So it's like, maybe he just knows that it's not going to be all good it never can yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well one other small theme i had was just the idea that some issues are more important than any one individual which zelda says to penny 
Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think, yeah, Elliot is trying to get Quentin to not just help Alice, but yeah. to help him save Fillory. And we also see Harriet engaging with this with Katie, too, mm. where Harriet at first says that she won't work with Katie because she can't risk herself to possibly get blowback from the library because her work is tied to herself. And so not only would she be putting herself at risk, she'd be putting her work at risk. She can't help Penny just and then put her work at risk if because it's bigger than one person. And so, yeah, I see a few different characters kind of struggling with that in this episode in ways that I imagine must have been purposeful in the writing of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, with Fenn's decision oh, yeah. to, to come back and warn Fillory. Yeah. Absolutely. I was also thinking about when you were talking about why can't Katie saying, why can't anything just be fixed? And mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking about a theme of choosing responsibility, mm-hmm. even in like the messiest most disappointing terrible parts of life Mm -hmm. because yeah that's very much what Elliot says to Quentin uh which I just love because Elliot has been understanding thus far of Quentin and all of his irresponsibility with Fillory he's been slightly irritated about it sometimes but hasn't really directly called him out and here he does he says that screwing up is inevitable it's infuriating and it is heartbreaking and quentin thinks that the ways that maybe he's screwed up bringing alice back and she doesn't want it and now she is not the same. She doesn't want to be here. She was hurting herself. You know, uh, he, he says, I think I destroyed her. And mm-hmm. Elliot's is like, okay. She made plenty of her own choices along the way, which I love that he points out. It's like, no, she had some agency too. It's yeah. not all about you, Quentin. She made her own choices, which is how she became an infant to begin with. And he says, I'm not saying it doesn't suck. I'm saying Fillory needs you. You chose to be a king, and that's what this means. So, yeah, I just love that he's bringing this up because this is what he's been doing all season. Absolutely. Over and over and over again, choosing to be responsible or trying to choose to be responsible in messy, disheartening problem after problem even interpersonally, like with Margot, you know, like Mm -hmm. trying to do the responsible thing. And yeah, like you were saying, put the whole of Fillory above his own personal desires, fate, any of it. Yeah, I think that he does that. But I think we've definitely seen that with Julia Mm -hmm. over the course of this season too. And Katie and Penny, you know, several of them have been trying to continually choose to do the responsible thing even when they screw things up or maybe they made a situation slightly worse or whatnot like they keep trying yeah and the other thing that i was thinking about uh, i think i mentioned it was last episode or the episode before about fate versus people Mm -hmm. having agency and i think that they like 
push that a little bit more in this episode when Elliot and Penny are having a conversation. Elliot's like, well, you read my books. If it's written, isn't it written then? And Penny says, I think you can change it. And <laughs> Elliot says that, okay, so we can save Fillory if we subscribe to a free will view of the universe, mm-hmm. which is, you know, great. But I think it's really interesting because I think what happens in the episode does kind of beg the question, would the great blank spot have happened no matter what they did? Mm-hmm. Because it happened in, in what we watched because they killed Ember. Not because Ember killed Umber, but because they killed Ember. And so then the parent gods, whatever, were like unhappy and like, now we're turning your magic off. But if they hadn't done that, if they had tried something else, any number of other things, would Ember have still smashed the world of Fillory Mm -hmm. and magic been stopped anyway, you know, with if the wellspring disappeared? And so, yeah, I just think it's interesting that we knew that there was a blank spot. The library knew that there was a blank spot. Nobody knew what caused it. And in the end, we know one thing that causes it, but we don't know if a bunch of other things would have caused it too. And so, yeah, I, I kind of like that they don't answer that question for us. Totally. Because the library still exists and these books still exist and all of that. Instead of just like, we only have complete free will, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, well, they've already introduced these other elements, and so how do those interact with agency for our characters to make choices, but also some continuity <laughs> with the, the world? Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think, you know, we know the Great Blank Spot happens, but we don't know if it always happens because magic is turned off. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was a version where the world is ended, you know, and that's what causes it. Like the universe? Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know, where things are even more destructive than just losing magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly the idea of losing Fillory is more destructive, but losing even more than that is a possibility as well. Uh, So, yeah. The, the kind of intermixing of prophecy and fate uh, with free will is is really, really interesting. Totally. A lot of narrative possibilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But why don't we go into our final big section, which is from another point of view. What character's point of view were you thinking about? I was thinking about Julia. Because, yeah, we see Julia at the beginning of the episode, really suffering. Yeah. Uh, She's been reunited with her shade, but that means that she's also now feeling all the trauma that she's experienced in the past. That when she didn't have her shade, she wasn't burdened by. So we see her having lots of guilt and panic attacks holed up on her couch in her apartment. Flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. You know, which it's interesting because... In a way, she's whole again, but being whole also means that she is negatively impacted by dark parts of things she's experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can only imagine, she obviously says, like, what are you doing here to Elliot? And she doesn't have a lot of patience for his platitudes. You want something. Exactly. Right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, Elliot is right when he says that she's the only person who won't say no 
in the face of a a universe that's going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's the only person who can, who will always give a god the finger. And, (laughs) you know, and that's what she does to Ember when she and, and Ember are in confrontation and she talks about how he's a weak god. He's a, you know, cowardly god. Of course, she's going to make the comparison to Reynard. She's met someone who's a god who's actually terrible and who has done horrible things to her and to other people, who has terrorized her, who continues to affect her even after he's been banished. Mm-hmm. And Ember, in comparison, is just, yeah, a, a childish brat. Uh, on a tantrum. Exactly. And she rightly calls him out on it in the same way that she would rightly call Reynard out, too. You know, she she is acerbic in her ability to <laughs> uh, dig down into the, these gods' faults and to, to lay them out in front of them. And I can only imagine that when he chokes her, it must be a traumatizing callback for her to have a god so easily attack her body through magic mm-hmm. and to almost kill her in, in doing so. So yeah, I think it's it's interesting to think about all the things that she was experiencing in these moments. And the fact even that she agreed to help out with this plan to try and kill a god when she heard directly from Persephone that there are repercussions to killing a god. Yeah, that's weird. Like, I, I kind of wish that they had made a different choice mm. with that because we don't really get any real dealing with that decision mm-hmm. like why she would change her mind when she didn't kill reynard the one that she actually hates the one that she would see as deserves it yeah. you know her being told that there are consequences to killing a god yet deciding to do it you know Maybe you say the, the the difference is that she has her shade, and so now she's making decisions differently. But I don't think that that's like I feel like that's a cop out because they didn't earn that answer, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and so yeah, I I kind of wish that she had participated in the plan to bring Umber there because they were thinking. Okay, either maybe they'll both be able to work this out, rule together, and then we're not going to have filler destroyed. Or maybe they'll both kill each other, and so we won't have to deal with that, Mm -hmm. you know? But her actually having the sword, I I just, I felt like it would have made a lot more sense for Elliot to have the sword and enchant it with the power, since we've already seen him do magic with swords. And, you know, and he, I think, would make that choice to kill this god because he's destroying <laughs> the this planet and that was his semi his plan at the end of last episode mm-hmm. where he was like we need to neutralize ember and conquer fillery essentially and so i i don't like that choice that they made that that they had julia do it i felt like more it was like well we need julia to be able to do something but I don't know if it made narrative sense for her character. Yeah, agreed. I think that they needed more to explain how she got there mm-hmm. uh, and and what she was feeling at the time. Yeah, totally. But I do think it's uh, before those decisions were made, like, I love that moment between Elliot and Julia. Mm-hmm. 
because even even way before in the Plan B episode, and she was like, well, why are y'all doing this with me? Don't you hate me? And he was like, we're emotionally evolved. We can hold both resentment and sympathy for someone at the same time. Absolutely. And he puts that yet again into practice. He starts leaving after he got the amulet that he needed, but then was like, okay. The way you're relating to that couch is not unknown to me. I know. Such a great line and way to say it. But first saying, I can't begin to imagine what you're going through. It's not just like, I've been there. He, He hasn't. And so he acknowledges that he hasn't. Yet he's going to try to reach out a hand anyway mm-hmm. um, and care for someone, which, yeah, is why he's just one of the greatest characters. He's great, yeah. That this person that he doesn't even really know, but he has compassion for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yet again, <laughs> more compassion and care than his, her supposed best friend. Yeah, not to mention. You know, the last thing I had for her was how frustrated she must be at the end of the episode when Quentin, as soon as she starts, like, trying to show him the magic, it's just like, no one can do it. You know, such a callback to the first season Mm -hmm. when he didn't have any faith in her ability to do magic, didn't, you know, validate her because she's a hedge witch, you know, Mm -hmm. like all these other ways that he looked down on her. Um, And now, yeah, it's his immediate go to here as well. Meanwhile, in the two months after magic was turned off, she's in law school. Mm-hmm. You know, she moved on with her life, doing something productive, trying, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if she wanted to go into law that would help prosecute mm-hmm. uh, rapists and things like that. Like, okay, I'm not going to just sit around, and do nothing, wallow in the sadness of magic being gone. I'm going to go and do something with my life, hopefully trying to help other people. And then when she discovered she could do magic again, then she'll drop out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is also why she's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, what great character did you bring to talk about? So I have two, but I'll be shorter with Penny. Okay. So it's just Penny's in the hospital again. Again, I know. <laughs> and this time... He's dying. I mean, he was dying other times, too. But, like, he has cancer and... Or not cancer. Cancer Plus is Mm -hmm. what they're calling it. And he asks when... When they were saying that, okay, there's magic residue over everything, which, if this was done by magicians, then there's the chance that we can crack the code to undo it. Mm Mm-hmm. And he says, how long? And they think he means, how long will it be to to figure out the solution? And he is like, no, how long until I die? He does not have any faith that this will work out for him. That they'll be able to crack the code. He has experienced time and time and time again being hospitalized and thankfully he has been able to survive but just right Mm -hmm. and okay i have two or three weeks to live i'm not gonna spend it here yeah and it does seem like it's the type of thing that he 
has been confronted with so many times. And so he's thought about it and he's not going to spend his last two or three weeks alive waiting in hospital, hoping that they can find a cure for him. Or wallowing. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's like, I'm not just going to wait to die in hospital bed. I want to go take a portal to Tahiti. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the first thing he does, besides put on an awesome coat that looks amazing <laughs> on him, is that he is going to exert energy with his dying body to try to help mm-hmm. save Fillory and magic. Both things that have damaged him many, many times. And he's going to try to save things that his friends slash acquaintances rely on. Mm -hmm. And a planet that he doesn't even like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just like so admirable, but also so defeated. Like he has hope that others will be able to help and change things. But he doesn't have hope that people will be able to do anything for him, mm-hmm. which I think, yeah, must be indicative of how people have let him down so many times and neglected him, forgot about him. He's the one who has to be like, hey, my hands are in this box. I need to get these fixed yeah. so we and can they travel never anywhere. Were. They never mm-hmm. got their magic back. Yeah. And nobody was working on that yeah. besides him, uh, you know. Katie had good reasons. Again, they were trying to get rid of a raping monster. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it just him making these decisions, his attitude while he's making those decisions, it's not different. (laughs) He's continually done this and he's stayed salty about everything you know it's not like i only have two weeks to live my entire outlook on life has changed he's lived with circumstances that are so horrible for so long that he is going to try to do the things that he needs to do to leave things in a better place and he actually tells katie i have one thing I got to button up and then they're like transported to the library Mm -hmm. like before they went to Tahiti and I don't know what that thing is I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what it was because he had already gone to Elliot he had already you know read his books and you know helped empower Elliot with knowledge so that he could hopefully save Fillory Um, but I don't know what that other thing was and uh, I don't think we ever get to find out Mm. so yeah it just Even in dying, he is choosing to be responsible to his fellow humans, his fellow magicians. I mean, I guess he's not entirely human. And acting out of love, even if he does so in a sarcastic, (laughs) annoyed way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, because he's the best. I know, we love Penny. We love Penny. This is why Penny, Julia, Elliot, they're my favorite, and it's just so hard to choose. So they just all three get that (laughs) top spot. (laughs) The other person that I really want to talk about is Margot, because the first thing that she does 
when she comes back to Castle Whitespire, she doesn't have her eye, is tell Elliot that Fen wouldn't come. I'm sorry. I'll keep trying. I promise. Like, she lost her eye. It was taken from her violently as a toll just because. Mm -hmm. It, It wasn't necessary. They could have sent her back without mutilating her body, but the fairy queen wanted to. Yeah. So she lost this really significant part of her body and the first thing that she wants to communicate to Elliot is that she's sorry and that she will keep trying and so for her to say that she will keep trying is so significant Mm -hmm. because she just lost her eye like she will keep trying what does that mean how how much of her body is she going to lose in this process of continually trying maybe she'll lose her entire life you know yeah but this is what she wants to do because she is taking responsibility for the mess that she made and that affected other people based off of her decision and she is willing to take the consequences of that even when the consequences are so unfair and needless Mm -hmm. that's the thing that she wants to communicate to elliot first and she's like not angry at elliot for not not for her eye but for throwing her in the dungeon she does address it though you know uh it's nice that elliot tells her that he was angry and scared of what she was capable of so that's why he did it and you know she was put in an impossible circumstance and that would have crushed anyone myself included and and so they try to banter about it they try to you know joke about the situations fembot nick fury Mm -hmm. and Elliot saying, is your good eye crying right now? And she's like, it's not my good eye. It's my only fucking eye. It's not funny, you dick. I'm a cyclops. You know, like, they're joking with each other. It is funny. They're joking about her situation. But then she's just like, we're trying too hard to just blow past it and banter. But it's not the same. And let's not pretend it is. Because that makes it hurt worse. And... I don't know. I think it's like a really nice way for someone that we know can be so brash and rude. She's not accusing him. She's not mad at him. She's not angry and resentful. And she's just saying, you know, it's not the same. It hurts too much to pretend like everything in our relationship is what it was before this happened. Because we both made choices that have changed our friendship. Yeah, for for a character that can get angry easily or can... um, Lash out. Yeah, yeah. I think her communicating the way that she does to him is, yeah, really important. And I think shows some growth for her. I I can't imagine what that would be like yeah. to be in her circumstance and to not have one of her eyes and be wearing an eye patch because she doesn't want it to just be not there, you know? And 
I mean, people are going to stare at her, but now they'll stare at her because it's a bedazzled eye yeah. patch, you know? <laughs> um, so it's such a big deal, and it's something that she doesn't even have the time and space to really process because they're on to trying to help save Fillory again. So yeah, I think sometimes she's been put in very difficult circumstances and she has made choices that I would not make (laughs) and (laughs) things that were not good or right. But here, I think she's put in very difficult circumstances and she's trying. I mean, we get to the end of the episode where she's like, oh, martial law, curfews, like, we need to... Fear, not inspiration. Exactly. (laughs) But, like, I also, you know, kind of get what she's saying. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the main things that we've had as the advantage to not just have the Foo Fighters come and kill us and everything is that we have magic. Yeah. And now we don't have magic. And now they know it. And... And they yeah. don't have magic, which they relied on. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, Fillory is not going to be doing well there. And mm-hmm. uh, bringing control to that is going to be something that they'll have to make hard choices. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I like it. It's not, change is not linear. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, I start to be less reckless Mm -hmm. and make better choices and that's just like an upward trajectory from here on out like that's not really how it works and so yeah i i like that about her character but that we're also seeing some progress with her um or maybe progress in the right word but some positive changes and intentionality yeah and just i mean that scene in particular such amazing performances mm-hmm. by both of them. Like, you can see them both feeling a kind of catharsis that they can banter, but yeah, that pain but also that also trying comes with too it. Hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so well done. And legitimately, at the same time, being funny. Yeah. Yeah, just, they're, they're both so good and so good together. Yeah. The chemistry reading on the on their auditions must have must been, have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. they're like, okay, it's it's them too. <laughs> We're gonna go with those. <laughs> well, a lot has happened in the episode, and it has been a long episode. Yeah. So why don't we close out with a revisit to the title? We have brought you little cakes. What do you think? Yeah, I'd give it an A minus. It's pretty great. Mm. Uh, you know, the callback to the end of season one is very good. The only issue I have with it is that. They didn't really bring him cakes. They brought him two cakes. They made cakes for him. So, you know, it doesn't actually make full sense with that language, but still, it's great. It's just, it's fun. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Okay, well, what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we are going to be having our wrap-up episode for season two, which is going to be doing a character spotlight it's going to be looking at kind of the narrative threads throughout the season maybe connecting even back further to season one and yeah just an all-around wrap-up and like our favorite magical moments and stuff uh if any of you are listening to this and you want to send us what some of your favorite magical moments of season two were you are more than welcome oh yeah that'd be so great yeah and we we maybe will share some of them so yeah it's gonna be great and uh that'll be next week and then the week after we will jump into season three with the first episode sounds good all right well thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines you can find links to our website our social media and our patreon in the episode description 
We hope that you'll join us on Patreon, especially right now, because we are going to have our next meetup with our patrons, where we'll talk all about Season 2. Yeah. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.